Welcome to the COVID What Comes Next podcast with Dr. Ashish Jha, Dean of the Brown University School of Public Health and a globally respected pandemic scientist and physician. Every week here, Dr. Jha will analyze events of the previous several days and offer his assessment and guidance for what lies ahead. I'm your host, G. Wayne Miller of the Providence Journal and the USA Today Network. Good morning, Ashish. How are you? Hey, good morning, Wayne. I'm well. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. So here we are at the beginning of November, and just wanted to get your overall assessment, as we regularly do, of where we are, both in the country and in the world, in terms of the COVID pandemic. Yeah. Um, So early November, as you know, getting a little chilly here in, in Rhode Island. Uh, this morning, I, I, you know, I, I like put on a warmer jacket than I usually do. And I raise it not to give a weather report, but to say this is a moment that we've all been a little bit concerned about, because as the weather gets colder, we saw pretty big increases in infections last year and that followed hospitalizations and deaths followed by. Um, it's different right now. Um, across the U.S., infection numbers have been coming down, largely because the huge surge of infections in the South is over. But here in New England, even, infection numbers are pretty stable at a low-ish level. I mean, not high, not tiny. And what I think is two things are going on in New England. And then I want to talk about other parts of the country where I think it's a little different. In New England, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, across the entire region. Cold weather is driving people indoors. Cold, dry air is how the virus likes to spread. And so there is pressure right now to increase, and you should be seeing more transmission. You should be seeing kind of more people getting infected. But it's running up against a wall of vaccinated people. And so we're not seeing those outbreaks. What is happening is people get infected, And then they encounter a whole bunch of vaccinated people and they're not able to spread effectively. And so we're essentially kind of at a stalemate with the virus at a a relatively low level. That's fantastic. I I don't want to be too kind of rosy colored glasses on this. Could I see outbreaks in New England over the next couple of months? Absolutely. Could we see hospitalizations rise? Yes. But I think we have so much vaccination here, so many people vaccinated that I don't see large outbreaks in our future. And I don't see anything like last winter. So we're kind of in this middle ground transitioning, but that's because we have done a really good job on vaccination. Let me be last point on this and I'll talk about other parts of the country. We still have ways to go. There's still too many Rhode Islanders, too many Massachusetts residents, too many people across the region who are not yet vaccinated, about 20%. I do think, and I know we're gonna get to kids, kids vaccinations will help with this as well. Last point, Wayne, is it's not just getting cold in New England. It's also getting cold in the Midwest and the Great Plains states. And those places I'm more worried about. The infection numbers are higher in some places like Montana, North Dakota. Uh, the infection numbers are really quite high. And that's because they just don't have the same level of vaccinations. And, and one has to worry about a lot of those states for the next couple of months. What about the rest of the globe? And this obviously could be a longer conversation, but if you can just give an overview of where the rest of the world stands, at least, you know, major regions of the rest of yeah. the planet. Yeah. Um, 
So what is happening in the rest of the globe, of course, driven in large part by what's happening with vaccinations. So let's start with vaccinations, then we'll talk about what else is going on. Um, Europe is more vaccinated than we are. Uh, you know, most again, I, Europe is broad, obviously, Eastern Europe, not as vaccinated, Western Europe, very vaccinated. Um, large parts of Asia are pretty vaccinated. China has very high levels of vaccine. Uh, more than two billion doses have been given across China. India, just a week ago, hit one billion doses. Fifty uh, percent of their entire population is fully is vaccinated, not fully vaccinated, one dose at least, but half of India. And that that includes kids. So a lot large parts of Asia also doing very well. And, and then Latin America, again, there's a lot of variation. But Brazil and, and, and Chile and, and Argentina and other big countries, high levels of vaccination. That means those places are not seeing massive outbreaks. They're seeing outbreaks, but not massive outbreaks. And even when they see that outbreaks among vaccinated people, they're not leading people to get hospitalized and, and get really, really sick in the same number. So overall, things are generally doing better. There are two caveats. One is a lot of places are vaccinated with the Chinese vaccine, Sinovac, not as good of a vaccine. And so we're seeing some problems in, in countries with high levels of Chinese vaccines. Last big picture point, one huge place in the world I didn't mention is the continent of Africa. Across the African continent, vaccine numbers are horrible. Uh, we have just done a lousy job of getting vaccines to the African continent. And that means that there is a lot of vulnerability and you are seeing some significant outbreaks in certain countries. So it's a mixed picture, getting better, but we still have plenty of work to do. And you've talked about this before, but what happens elsewhere in the on the planet, and we're now talking about Africa, affects the entire planet. This isn't just like we we isolate, it's regionalized and and limited there. Talk about that. Absolutely. Um, if you think about every variant we have dealt with, why did we have such a horrible summer surge? The Delta variant. The Delta variant came from uh, India, so at least that's where we first saw it. Uh, the Alpha variant that got us into trouble in the spring. Uh, came from the UK. So the point is variants arise wherever there are large outbreaks. It's, it's, a, it's a risk for variants. And until we get the whole globe vaccinated, America should absolutely not feel like we have beaten the pandemic. Uh, we remain vulnerable. It, it really is a, a, an argument, if no other, I mean, if we should do it for moral grounds alone, but if not, at least even on selfish grounds, we got to get the world vaccinated. So let's turn back to the U.S. Uh, the CDC is imminently to approve use of the Pfizer vaccine for the five to eleven crowd, and you've you've broken this down for us before. But here's a here's a, a more a specific question: What would you say to parents and guardians who are hesitant to have kids in five to eleven get the vaccine? And the polling shows that you know there are significant numbers of people who are hesitant or are outright saying we're not going to do it. What, what yeah. would you, what's your argument to them or, the, or your message to them? Yeah. So I would start at home. I have a nine-year-old uh, and he is obviously not vaccinated. And the first possible day that the vaccine is available, he's getting the shot. Uh, he's actually excited about it. He hates needles. He keeps asking, is there a non-needle alternative? And I keep telling him, unfortunately, there is not. Uh, but uh, I'm getting him the shot. And I am not getting him the shot out of some desire to create population immunity. I have looked very, very carefully at the data. And for my nine-year-old, who's healthy, who's otherwise healthy, um, 
the benefits of the vaccines way outweigh any risks of the vaccines. And, uh, and that is based on my very careful look at the data and how I understand the side effects. And so what I would say to parents who are not so sure is you can listen to what I have to say, but more importantly, listen, look at what I'm doing. And I think it's really important when you get to the benefits issues, look, the virus is going to be around for a long time. Um, we don't know the long-term consequences of the infection. Uh, the, the vaccine has been given to almost 4 billion people, including tens and tens of millions of kids around the world. The vaccines are exceedingly safe. And so between the global experience of vaccinations, the long-term effects of COVID, this is not a close call. This is a got to do this. It's the right thing to do for your kids. Thank you. Um, the Merck pill. Yeah. A new, a new pill for COVID. I don't really pretend to understand exactly what it is. Maybe you can break that down for us, but it yeah. certainly has been making headlines. Yeah, it, it has been making headlines. And people may wonder, well, why this? And why did I not get as excited? So I am excited about this. So why am I excited about this? But why was I not excited about I ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine? I'll tell you why. Um, those others didn't have the same kind of rigorous clinical trial. They also didn't make sense biologically that they would work. So that's why I think hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin have been now pretty definitively shown that just they're not useful. This drug uh, is different. And it's different because it's a nucleoside analog. But what does that mean? When the virus goes to replicate, it requires certain building blocks to replicate itself. And what this drug does is it puts in essentially a building block that the virus incorporates, but then it stops the replication. It can't function anymore. So it, the, biologically, it makes a lot of sense that this thing should work. It's very similar to pills we've used for other virus, viral diseases like HIV, uh, like hepatitis C. And the clinical data so far shows that it's terrific, that it reduces hospitalizations by 50%. Uh, it was in the clinical trial, they didn't have any deaths in the, in the uh, treatment group. So look, we've got to look at the data a bit more carefully. FDA is going to do a thorough review, but I am very optimistic this pill is going to end up becoming an important part of our tool set. And here's the other good part of this, Wayne. There are about three or four companies that are pursuing similar types of drugs using the same mechanism. And once you see that one of them works, I have now become optimistic that we'll have more pills down the road that will also work. And we may be six months from now sitting here talking about the fact that we have three or four different therapies that can all work for this virus. And that would be amazing. So would this be in place of a vaccine, a supplement? Uh, when would this be used, I guess, is the question. Yeah. So I think I don't think, first of all, it's not a, a in place of because while this reduces your hospitalizations for 50 of 50 percent, we don't know what the impact of this will be on getting long COVID. You're still going to have people get hospitalized. You'll still have people who die. Now, vaccines reduce your hospitalizations probably 95, 98 percent. Um, vaccines work in the background, meaning you don't have to think about taking it. This one, you got to take it really early in the disease course, up to five days after symptom onset, but probably in the first couple of days. So, you know, imagine you wake up, you have a fever, you have a cough. You don't know if this is this. It takes two days for you to get a test. Two days later, you go get a pill. You're kind of out of that range of maximum benefit. So this is one where we're going to have to really train people to take it early. 
And we don't know what the implications are for having long-term immunity from this. So I think this is a very poor substitute for a vaccine. That said, for vaccinated people who have a breakthrough infection, it could end up being, if you end up having, most breakthrough infections are very mild, but occasionally you'll have a severe case. That could be a great time to use this drug. Uh, for people who have immune, who are immunocompromised for whom the vaccines don't work, this could be a great way to, to treat it. So there are going to be really important use cases. I would not think about this as a substitute for a vaccine. Okay. Uh, thank you. Last question, boosters. And I was on the CDC site uh, last night, and let me just read what they're saying, because there's been a lot of question about if you got Moderna or Pfizer, should you get, you know, what should you get? But here's what the CDC has on its site. There are now booster recommendations for all three available COVID-19 vaccines in the United States. Eligible individuals may choose which vaccine they receive as a booster dose. Some people may have a preference for the vaccine type that they originally received, and others may prefer to get a different booster. CDC's recommendations now allow for this type of mix and match dosing for booster shots. Is that something you agree with? I'm guessing it probably is, but it is. is. Here's how I would think about boosters. Um, First of all, I break down boosters kind of in the following way. If you got a J&J, you need a second shot. No matter who you are, if you got a J&J, you need a second shot. J&J, one shot is probably not a one and done. And whether you call it a booster or you just call it a second shot in the series, up to you, you need a second shot. And it doesn't matter which second shot. So if you got a J&J, you can get a Moderna, a Pfizer, or another J&J, and I think you're fine. If you got a Moderna or Pfizer, if you're in any kind of a high-risk group, if you're older, chronically ill, high exposures, you you should get that booster. And here, again, it doesn't matter which booster you get. You can, if you got Moderna, you can get another Moderna. You can get a Pfizer. You can even get a J&J. And there are plenty of reasons to believe that any of them will be really terrific. They might be a little different from each other. I can make the case for any one of them. I feel like, you know, you got three terrific options, marginal difference on the edges. Just go get a booster if you're in a high-risk group. Thank you, Ashish. We'll be talking to you again in a few weeks, probably uh, shortly before Thanksgiving. Have a good day. Thank you. I look forward to that conversation. Take good care.